I'm Nathan from Dumbo Feather. That was Barry. You probably know us. We um we are delighted to be in conversation today with Lydia Fairhall. Who's out there? Hey, Lydia. Hi. Um, we'll get Lydia to introduce herself properly. Um, but she's she she graced us on the cover of issue sixty of Dumbo Feather, our belonging issue. She's a dear friend of ours, an artist, musician, storyteller. She's a wise, wise voice. Um, but yeah, we'll hear from her. Lydia, would you like to acknowledge the the country that you're on? Yeah, absolutely. Thank Thank you. you. Hi, everyone. Um, A beautiful opportunity to begin by acknowledging, first and foremost, country. I'm here on Kabi Kabi or Gubby Gubby country on the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast. Um, And I would just like to give my deep respects and honour to this country that has nurtured me and my family for so many years and I extend that respect to the elders and the community, the Gubby Gubby and Kabi Kabi community, and throughout all of Australia to the many, many nations and clans and places where people are listening in and calling in from. I acknowledge the sacred energy of this beautiful, beautiful place that we all get to call home. Thank you. And if you do know the country you're on, please please share your acknowledgement in the chat function. That's always so awesome to see. Um, a couple of things before we get started. What am I going to tell you? One is we'd love your feedback on how, if you are returning to um, this series, um, this is our third one now, if you have been coming back, we'd love to hear what you're enjoying, what uh, isn't quite working for you. Um, if you'd like to see this continuing, we've got five in the works, a couple more to go. Um, and if you'd like to see more of it, please let us know that too. Um, we just love any feedback we can get right now to keep this um, iterative and, and responsive to what we all need at this time. Um, and the other thing is, uh, please continue to support Dumbo Feather by becoming a subscriber. Um, our next issue is on localising. We are deep in uh, that issue at the moment, which we actually decided on that thing before all of this happened, which is pretty powerful and timely. So um, we're looking forward to putting that out at the end of May. So stay tuned. I also wanted to um, share a thought for someone in this community. I received an email over the weekend. She's attended a couple of these sessions um, and she lost her mother to the virus um, late last week. So I thought as we settle into our bodies and just take a few breaths together that we can hold her in our thoughts. Um, and all of those who are grieving loved ones at this time. So let's, let's spend some time breathing together, closing down the eyes if you feel comfortable, and dropping into your body. Just paying attention to the inhale and the exhale of your breath.
and gently coming back to the space. <clears throat> Lydia, hi. Okay, let's begin our conversation. Some people might not know who this miraculous woman is um, that I can see on the screen sitting between Nathan and I, uh, Lydia, and and maybe Lydia could introduce yourself, darling friend. Sure thing. So um, where to begin? Um, I guess I play many, many roles in this life. Uh, I'm a mum. I've got two two kids and as Nate said, I'm a singer-songwriter and a musician. I have always worked in the arts, um, particularly in First Nations arts, as a festival director and producer across film and theatre and all the things. Um, at the moment, I'm up on a fairly large property in a pretty, um, not remote area, but you know, you could spend a few months out here and not run into another person if that's how you wanted to do it. Um, and we're doing some regeneration on a beautiful block that um, was an old cedar forest actually and then was completely logged and turned into a pineapple patch. And now we've got about a 35-year-old um, mixed tree country um, forest here. So we're helping it along. Um I am a descendant of the Waramai Nation and the Gumapingu clan. So my great-grandmother was born on a mission in a little tiny place called Karua, which is beautiful saltwater river country. Um, and, you know, like a lot of women at that time, a lot of people at that time, it was really better to be absolutely anything other than Aboriginal. And so because of that, um, and the really very real risks associated with losing your children, having your children removed, uh, you know, loss of economic capacity, all of, all of those kind of systemic things. Um, you'll see a lot of um, Aboriginal families that have married into Chinese or Indian communities. And that was my great-grandmother's experience. So she married an Indian fellow. And they basically spent their whole lives laying the railway line up and down the east coast. So, you know, very, very hard work. They would move every two weeks. And I guess that really started quite a lengthy period of displacement between my family and our homelands. Um, my great, my grandmother, my mum's mum, was born in a tent on the Tyogle River in northern New South Wales there and for for her her life was absolutely a um an intersection of all the different kinds of oppression they all collided in her world and in her experience and for that reason my mum's early childhood was very very challenging her mum was um at that by that time um, you know, a full-time drinker. She was a wild and free spirit until the day she passed away. Uh, and ultimately that meant that my mum was taken from her when she was about 11. And so my whole upbringing was really, you know, affected by all of this. We see that time and time again how generationally in our communities and not just Aboriginal communities, a lot of different communities, we see that trauma pass through. 
And for some reason, when it hit me, and it did, I just chose to take it down a really different path. And I guess over, you know, over those years, that path has led me to the life I'm living today. As you can all begin to hear, Lydia has lived many lives in one and is a beloved friend of mine, Um, a new friend. We've only been friends a little while, but uh, we have deep connection and we've talked a lot about trauma, intergenerational trauma and um, working from different principles and I feel like This conversation could be many, many hours long. The questions that Lydia and I have, we've been talking about so much around duality and Lydia has a story of trauma and suffering and poverty and at the moment I know a lot of people are thinking a lot about privilege versus suffering, how we sit in this moment and understand what the opportunities are in this moment, this sort of tension of the strangeness of what I'm I think of as an epoch defining moment and Lydia maybe maybe the best place to start is a big deep place to start where you and I were talking earlier today about the two aspects of us there's a spiritual a spiritual version of us and a physical version of us I mean I think always the most kind of effective way to share it is through those kind of personal experiences and I had the real pleasure of interviewing Judy Atkinson for the last issue and she's an incredible healer and has worked a lot in the trauma space and we touched on this concept in that interview and in the writing in the introduction that always the problem is the portal and I'm seeing a lot of that narrative coming out of the world at the moment. A lot of people are talking about this and it's not to downplay the fact that the portal is is sometimes very painful. You know, the birthing process is not easy, and I would never want to take away uh, for any from anyone's experience in that space. But it also absolutely accompanies new life, and I think what experiences like this give us is the real opportunity to think about and connect with who we really are. And so, you know, I was thinking about this because I'm I'm here in the bush and in the bushfires we felt like sitting ducks, like this was the worst possible place to be. And a few months later we're out here thinking, well, how the tide has changed, um, this is totally the safest place to be. And there's um, this interesting thing that for me, nothing changed. I felt just as peaceful then as I do now. And because of the amazing journey that I've been on and the beautiful teachers that have and elders that have invested their wisdom and time in me, I really do feel like I'm in a place now where the whole world could be exploding around me and I would still feel nothing but peace. And that's a really big statement from somebody that's walked the, the walk that I've walked in my life um, because that's definitely not been the case. But the reason why I feel like that is because I have really begun to understand these two aspects of me. 
One is physical and one is spiritual. One is the car and one is the driver. And for most of my life, I've heavily aligned and identified and been completely physically focused, like all of us, apart from when we're little. Um, But over the last couple of years, a big shift has happened and I sit much more in alignment with myself as a spiritual being. So, for example, when an external, perceived external threat comes in, like the bushfires or coronavirus or whatever might be going on, I still have to, as a physical being, fulfil all the roles attached to that physicality. As a mum, I still have to make sure that we've done everything we can to clear the gutters, all the things, do all the preparation work. All of that still has to take place. Same with coronavirus, you know, like we're in isolation, we're not going out, we're still doing the prep work and the practical groundwork. But once that is done, end of story, then it's over to being aligned with and sitting in that space as a spiritual being where we have complete control and creation over everything that comes into our lives. So when we do sit in that space, we are able to better understand that Our whole worlds are our own consciousness projected out in front of us. And we can look to quantum physics, we can look to science, we can look to law, Aboriginal law, we can look to some kinds of modern spirituality, the Bible, all of these places and see the same story being told over and over again. And that is what we focus on expands. So whilst as a physical being we've got to do the We've got to do the things. We've got to feed the children. We've got to take care of that physical life. But as spiritual beings, we can sit in a place where we have absolutely all the power to imagine, to create, and to draw into our lives the conditions that we really want to experience. I love that, Lydia. Um, At the moment, I'm thinking a lot about the kind of external forces and. Maybe this is my own consciousness being manifested, but the kind of things that force me to feel the anxiety that I feel, you know, the phone calls from my mother who's telling me to be very careful, very, very, very meticulous about doing this and that and all of the conversations that are happening, you know, in our media and our political sphere that, that are kind of projecting this anxiety onto us. I'm interested in techniques that we can use or ways that you've found of, of, of mm-hmm. working through that. I mean, I guess the very first, the foundation of all the teachings that I've, have learned is to really know who you are and we are creators first and foremost we are creators and so from that place Barry and I were talking earlier you know the scientific world has shown us that 99.999% of all matter is empty space so if you took out all of the empty space out of the entire human population all of us, every single person on earth would reduce down to something less than the size of a sugar cube. So we've got to really start thinking and talking about the fact that we are barely physical. We are barely physical, yet we hold on to ourselves as these physical beings that are um, subjected or victims or uh, on the receiving end of just random acts when That is not the case. And there are many systems, governments, corporations, even sometimes our loved ones that really don't want us to realise just how capable we are and how much power we have in creating our own realities. 
And I think for me, I met my spiritual teacher when I was 13 years old. I had just um, attempted suicide for the second time. And when I met him, I was so angry and so rebellious. And I remember sitting in his room with my arms crossed thinking there's nothing this person could ever tell me that's going to make any difference. He's just an old fool, whatever. (laughs) And within about an hour, you know, I was crying and confiding and telling him everything that had ever gone wrong. And it was because for me coming from a household where every single individual failure or experience could be the responsibility of someone else, of a government, of a system, of a race, because everything, everybody else had the power. Mm-hmm. It was such an immense relief to hear that I actually might have some sovereignty and agency and say in all of this. And I guess we've got to think about the difference between knowledge and belief because For something to be true, it has to be true to 100% of people 100% of the time. Otherwise, we are just talking about beliefs. And so if it's true that because I was born into a certain set of circumstances that I would never be able to experience a life outside of that, then I should definitely not be living the life that I'm living now and I should definitely probably not even still be here. And you hear countless stories of people using adversity, using suffering as the bit of grit in the oyster that makes the pearl. And for me, that was just so empowering and it propelled me on a way of dealing with my experiences that I have never walked away from since, really. Mm. And some of those techniques, I think, like just on a really practical level, you know, when my child calls me, I snap into that role of being the mum. But I I clock it when that's over and then I sit back into the space of myself as a spiritual being. And so from that place, I know that I am able to create a picture and imagine a picture of what my life could be like and I can write the story. And so I do. I write the story of what I want my life to be like. Sometimes it's physically writing it. A really powerful um, technique that I've used over the years has been around that moment when you're falling asleep or when you first wake up. Both of those times of day it is are really powerful times. And, and to just be in that place of imagining what it is you want. You want health for your family, for your community, whatever it might be, a million bucks, whatever it is. Mm. If you can sit in that space of imagining it and feeling it, then the conditions change. And most of us are brought up to believe that once the conditions change, we're happy, when really it's the other way around. Align first, sit in that space of feeling how good it feels to feel safe and protected and abundant and then the conditions follow. Mm-hmm. I love this and I know it's going to, it's like there's so many questions I'm sure everyone on this call would would have to like pierce that veil and like get further in there with you, Lydia. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a lived example of, of, of this duality of really doubling down. And you said that a lot of elders who you've worked with on country who are still connected to the old law Yes, validated this this experience that you have had, and and that the investment is in that space, that spiritual plane, more than 
in the physical doing bits and pieces. Oh, yeah. I think our old people had a very, um, very sophisticated way of understanding how this all worked. And you you only have to look to our kinship laws and, and um, the way we worked with country, we are country. You only have to look at those old ways and see how close really our old people were to source or, or the universe or God, whatever you want to call it. We didn't spend, you know, over 160,000 years, however long it was, we didn't spend that time building cities and economies and all of that kind of thing. We weren't physically focused. And still to this day, um, some of the most beautiful people and teachers I've been so blessed to, to learn from don't see themselves as physical beings. They are absolutely spiritual beings having a human experience and their work is not in the doing, it's in the being. And I think, again, when we sit in that space, we can be in the world and not of it. And one thing that I've noticed in myself since I've gone further and further down that path, and that's been a pretty short time frame for me over the last two years really, is that you really start to lose the need for 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 many things uh, there's very little that I need anymore or even that I desire and so life becomes very simple it just becomes about being of service and I'm happy when I'm being of service like moments like this where we get to exchange and all this is is drawing um, stuff out of people that they already know it's a reciprocity there's no teacher student anything like that it's simply drawing things out of each other. And then when I'm not in this mode, it's just content, contentment, and and things are very, very simple. What I love about it for me, you know, on on many, many levels I love, I just love you, I really love all of it, (laughs) Um, is that this when we... Meliani, who's always who's also on here with us, she's she's the CEO of Small Giants, and she was saying something so beautiful this morning to me after we chatted. Meli was talking about how over this Easter weekend she had the opportunity to really experience spaciousness inside of herself, yeah. and that that spaciousness then like feeds her leadership. She can lead and she can, or she can design or she can think and, and be more spacious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that so much of, of that possibility of this moment during the pandemic, I see and I feel so much opportunity for spaciousness um, and, and I'm harking back to spaciousness, kindness, softness, um, connection to self, connection to family, connection to nature, and that those encounters over a period of time can really inform how we walk through this on and to the other side and that we should really let that inform us. And then there's this tension. I had someone say to me on Instagram the other day when I was I sent a kind of blessing image forward that, you know, that's, you know, that person wasn't feeling that that day that I was putting forward sort of spaciousness and softness and tenderness and gentleness. And, you know, I, as I said on the first call, I am living on an organic farm and having a beautiful time that 
that we can't have those experiences or we can't inform from those experiences during a time of suffering. And mm. so I don't know that maybe that's what you were saying before about allowing. Mm. Yeah. Allowing to inform ourselves from more spacious and abundant feedback loops. I mean, there's a couple of things that I think about when you're talking there. And, I mean, one of them is it's pretty obvious what the collective consciousness is feeling and thinking, especially in Australia when you put the bushfires into the mix as well. And I know we had a lot of conversations about the fires and when when we sit in that space of thinking about the fact that our outer world is a reflection of our inner world, what that shows us is that our inner worlds at that time in particular were way too heated up. There was way too much focus on action, on yang, on doing, doing, doing. And very soon after, we're in a position where every, we've been completely forced to slow down. And, you know, one of the beautiful gifts of all of this is really realizing that we should be working at about 20 to 30 percent of what we are conditioned and most of us move through the world in a way when we have any kind of stream of well-being we then spend a lot of time justifying how we earned it and what the struggle was in getting it and how much we suffered to get the well-being on the other side. Like we really have to justify any well-being that comes to us when we're physically focused. But there's another way, and the other way is to sit in allowance. And it's getting back to that concept that you don't find peace and then the conditions around you change to become more peaceful. That's that's the truth of it. You don't wait to the, for the conditions to change and then find peace. You know, you actually have to feel it and find it within first and then watch as the outer world changes to match that vibration and that experience. And you see it in nature, you see it in science. It's all there for the taking. And I think if we can move away from justifying well-being and away from feeling guilty about well-being and going, look, it's okay that I've got a bit of money because I worked so hard for it. If we can put that aside and actually sit in a space of allowing, then more of those good feeling, high vibration, aliveness, more of that experience surrounds us. And, and it's amazing how quickly it changes. It's so rapid. And I just think we, we need to remember that imagination is the true vision. And also, I, I just, you know, I want to have you in my pocket with me all day. <laughs> because but this is the thing, right? Like I'm just drawing out of you what you already know and vice versa. We're always in an experience of reciprocity. And, you know, I mentioned my teacher before. He's walked with me for 25 years. He's never even asked me to make him a cup of tea and he would never let me introduce him as a teacher. He's so, And same with the elders that I work with at Bush. They, like, they won't call themselves an elder. They don't know how old they are. It's probably somewhere in, you know, the 80s or 90s. But they, they're very humble in their knowing and um, it's knowledge flows through you, not from you. These are never... Um, exchanges that you can capitalise on or, um, you know, gain power from because you'd be going against the very grain of the teachings 
Lydia, can I share something? You're making me think. I was editing a conversation last week with an incredible woman called Pat McCabe. She's an Indigenous woman from the States. Yeah. Um, the Americas. And she, I'm just finding what she, what she said here. She said, we've lived in a culture where you dream up. She's talking about the Western kind of modern paradigm. We've lived in a culture where you can dream up what you want to do and you can go and do it, that it's possible. But we're seeing now actually that you might not be able to have life on this earth if you do everything you dream up. Indigenous cultures had cancelled. They were meticulous about passing down their understanding of what makes sense to do on this planet and what doesn't. And I thought, wow, that's so profound. That's what we need now. Yes. Yes. And you find your yearnings change. And this is the beautiful thing. Once you know how to bring everything into your life, you actually don't really want it anymore. (laughs) And that's part of the, the magic of all of it and the power of all of it is that you're not actually given that power until you cease to desire it to use it, you know, for for those kinds of material gains. I also love what Nate is saying, just the thing that we don't have, which, you know, part what we're doing, today, you know, on our usual Mondays, which is today, Tuesday, lunchtime, is to all sit in council with each other um, because we we don't have those structures. We mm. don't have elders giving feedbacks to grown-ups, giving, giving feedbacks to teenagers. To You know, we don't have the structures in built in healthy ways. We have an orientation towards media where we kind of take in a lot of information and then have to process it however we process it to make good decisions. But but having structures where we can have feedback loops, you know, you just gave me permission to use my feelings as a really good barometer, like nourishing mm. and life-giving mm. feelings are a good barometer for how to, like, chart Absolutely. my day. Yeah, and I feel like um, most of us have had periods in our life where we've been alive but we've also been asleep. And I can I can remember so clearly what that felt like. And with the alive but asleep version of life, you are very secure and it is very sanitised and you do know what is coming in terms of money in the bank every week and, you know, it's all very predictable and very safe. But you absolutely lose so much in that. You sacrifice a lot. And I think for me, being able to live a life of faith means to be able to live a life that is full of potential and possibility and adventure and riskiness that at one time I would have, you know, shunned and walked away from. And I even sense that here, you know, like I have probably four neighbours within, you know, a 50-kilometre radius, but I still wake up every morning and think anything could happen. You know, there's this beautiful sense of wonder and aliveness and just like, wow, this whole world is just this massive kind of crazy story. And we are, you know, when and the beautiful thing is when we sit in that place, and this is the other bit of knowing who we are, Yes, we're spiritual beings, but that spiritual aspect in me is the exact same spiritual aspect in you. And this is where we can start to have conversations about consciousness and oneness and what that really means and not skip over what that means in a context of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal and male and female because there's all of those intersections. But ultimately the the father in me or the universe or the source in me is the same source and universe in you into every living thing on this planet. Tracy said, I'd like to hear more about Lydia's views on finding balance between physical and spiritual. 
Do you mean balance, Tracy, or do you mean presence? Is balance a word? We can, Lydia, you answer the question. I think it's just about, I mean, Meliani, we were talking about this in a business context even. It's about sensing what the world needs from you. And if that means that there's three days straight where I'm physically focused and yelling at the kids and cooking dinner and weeding the garden, then that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, but I find when I, if I don't flick in and out and I'm just physically focused, I get tired very, very quickly and quite frustrated very, very quickly. So it is important for me to take time every day and it's not even um, like a start and finish time. It's just clocking that when the demands of the world cease that you get to sit back in your place of consciousness and let go of being the mum, let go of that role, let go of the role of being a worker or all, all of those roles and characters that we play cease to be as soon as the needs subside. It kind of reminds me of being in labour. So you know how they, they always say, once the contraction's over, let it go. Don't carry it through into the break between contractions. I always think about that when I'm trying to explain it because if you carry it through, you just get exhausted very, very quickly and it, it's, you cease to kind of be fueled by inspired action. Everything becomes an obligation and becomes quite, um, quite heavy and quite tired. I just want to name that that um, in there though is the anxiety and vigilance, like you know that that thing that Buddhists Buddhists try to teach us, which is you know if you don't be if you can do something about it, don't be worried. But if you can't do something about it, don't be worried. Yeah, but like mm. yeah, I have I have intergenerational worry. That's like how my people roll. So in between the contractions, I'm like, if I'm worried about the next one, then I might be prepared for what's, you know, it's that Brene Brown thing of we we kind of hold a space of vigilance and, and what you're talking about is trust. Yeah, and, yeah. and faith, you know, and and we we know that fight, flight or freeze story. It just hasn't really worked out that well for us yet. So we can keep trying it, but um, it's not really panning out. You know, I think there's so many ways to respond to intergenerational trauma and everybody is on their own journey and there's a certain way of dealing with it that you have to pass through first before you can get to that place of acceptance and forgiveness and allowing. But it's um, if if the vigilance was was working out for us, then, yeah, we should keep doing that. But it's kind of not. I might just... Um, no, do you mind if I just ask Lydia to take us up again? Mm. Um, Lydia, can you just talk a little bit or share a bit more around the the law, the ancient law that's sort of been informing you in your last couple of years, um, that space that the elders focus on and what, what wisdom there is in that? Mm. That's a really difficult one because... Um, every nation has its own law and its own, um, not secrecy, but protection around that law. And it's shared in a way that 
doesn't lend itself to this kind of platform. In, in terms of Aboriginal law, I think that's a really um, a different energy and a different space. Yeah, I'm talking, I, I, and, and I and I honour that, and um, I know nothing about it on yeah. that level. In terms but of the teachings that yeah. resonate is that is that what you're the teachings yeah. that resonate yeah. that are universal. Yeah, and when you in our culture and in many other cultures, um, you know, the foundations of them is really, I mean, the best analogy is thinking about the car and the driver. You know, we our physical bodies are these cars and we spend most of our lives thinking that we're the car and that our minds or our spirits are secondary to that when really our spiritual selves are the primary force, the um, infinite part of ourselves. And I think knowing who you really are is really the first step. Then you're able to think about yourself in the world as a creator and as a writer of the story, not just a character in the story. And, you know, I've been on this process, through this process a lot. I, I mean... There have been times in my life where I've been sleeping in parks and rough sleeping, living in cars, like everything that you could kind of choose to go through on that physical trauma level, I've given it a really good nudge. <laughs> and little bit by little bit I've been able to raise my energy enough to draw in different kinds of experiences in my life down to the type of partner that I wanted and the place that I wanted to live, what I wanted my house to look at. Um, you know, we were talking this morning about abundance and what financial freedom looks like for people and, you know, I'm somebody that has had everything up against them to ever sit in a place where I could say I feel financially free. Yet because I've been able to tap into the feeling of what that freedom feels like first and to really sit in that space of imagining that freedom, it easily comes to me and I'm not up against it in the way that you are when you're, you know, moving through the motions of being a physical being, having this kind of human experience. So we have this, you need to know who you are. You need to know that you're a creator. You need to know that your whole world is your own consciousness projected out in front of you. You need to know that you're drawing different characters out of people. And this is the bit where most people walk away from the, taking the next step. Because once you've kind of mastered all of that, what that means is 100% self-responsibility. It means that you have to take accountability for every single thing that you experience and that you feel. And most people can't get to that place or don't want to. And I understand why. It's a really, it's a tricky one. It's the big moment where you either choose to jump off the cliff or go back and live your life how you've always lived it. And I've tried that. I definitely have tried to turn away from it. And then I woke up one morning and realised that you can't know the truth and live a lie. So it's back to the back to the spiritual path for me. But um, yeah, it's a it's a big deal to sit in that place of self responsibility self-responsibility, particularly when you've been told your whole life that everything you've experienced is because of a set of conditions that others have imposed on you. It's a big unravelling and that takes time and a lot of gentleness and love. 
gentleness and love. How beautiful. Sorry, yeah. I, nearly, I nearly interrupted gentleness and love in my rush, <laughs> in my yangness. Um, and we also just briefly kind of went and spoke about how that is mirrored in systems, how, you know, what if we designed an economy where the organising principle or question was around what do we love? Yep, yep, absolutely. And this is the moment, right? We can... We can all the time, yeah. And we can think about coronavirus and we can um, talk about the illness and we can focus on how do we protect our families and all that. That's that's fine. We've got to do that bit of the work. But if we stay there and only focus on that, we've lost this opportunity to imagine the world that we really want to live in. And, you know, we've had this conversation around climate change as well, like protest and um, describing the what isness of the world is important, but if we get stuck there, we never give ourselves the opportunity to imagine this world that we're fighting for. Like, do we even know what we're resisting anymore? We get so stuck in that rhythm of resistance, of protest, of describing the world as it is, that we absolutely rob ourselves of imagining a different kind of future. And when all we do is describe our current set of circumstances, because our word is everything, all imagination comes from the word and then thought turns into form. If all we do is focus on our what isness, look forward into six months or a year or 10 and 20 years and we will just have more of the same of what we've got. Whereas if we do the things that need to be done in our, as our physically focused selves and then take the time to imagine what a world looks like where self-indulgence has fallen away and community rises again and you think about that world coupled with technology and interconnectedness that we didn't have in the 50s and 60s, the last time community was kind of the, you know, the cornerstone of our lives. When you start to imagine that, that's a beautiful feeling and there's so much power in that and we'll start to draw you start to draw people into your world that think the same thing and and they move into your neighborhood and then over time it it comes to be i'm really interested in what it is that you're seeing i really want to hear people's kind of creative envisaging of what this world could look like you know um this imagining that we're doing and even we could be doing it collectively um i love this quote that i keep hearing you know what if this isn't the darkness of the tomb yeah. but the darkness of the womb. I think that's so profound, this moment that we're in. Yeah. How can we start to picture what it is that we might be emerging in? Or is, it, is that maybe not the work to be so specific about what it is? But you, you said before, actually, that you have done a lot of that in your life, actually picturing specific things mm-hmm. and kind of lived into that. I think it, it depends on how much resistance and disbelief you have towards it. If you're not sure, it's good to go general. It's good to go to a place where you're just thinking about, I want to live in a world that is where I'm surrounded by loving people. You know, I'm surrounded, I'm in an environment that makes me happy, mm. of work that satisfies me. Like it's good to go really, really general. But mm. when you're flying high and you're in the zone and you're in that place of alignment, get really, really specific. Mm. You know, so there's a real, that's a really good trick. And I mean, it just depends because for everybody that world is going to look different, but this is where our collective consciousness, you know, aligns. I always think about um, the thing that Aboriginal Australia has been arguing for for a long time and that 
definitely fell away um, in the Howard era was this idea of self-determination, that each local community could decide for itself what it needed and make decisions about itself. I really love um, imagining little towns and little communities with more sovereignty and more Mm. autonomy, more um, control over public resources and distribution and what little local economies look like. But in this beautiful, beautifully globally interconnected world, Mm. and, you know, I I chat with um, Maliani a lot too, who Barry referenced before, about, you know, the next economy and what businesses, what role businesses have to play. And I really nerd out on all of that stuff and find it really exciting. And I love thinking about the fact that we're in a specific place and time where we have the opportunity to take a big leap forward. And the mystery of it is kind of part of the magic as mm. well, the not knowing, but just knowing that there is this beautiful uh, leap in, in consciousness happening. I think also what, what Melly and I were talking, like we always talk about, which is I think quite challenging for a lot of people, uh, that was a generalised comment, so I'm just going to put a general comment out there, but is to make sure that those who they're doing the dreaming with are coming from different perspectives and yeah. narratives. Yeah. Because doing this together, like I can't see what you can see, mm. you Lydia. You, Nathan, everyone on this call, like I can't see it on my own and that is what I love about it so much because the hero's journey is over. Yeah. The next Buddha will be community and, and that's what Thich Nhat Hanh said. And so the idea that Buddha won't be Siddhartha, one fabulous patriarch, and don't get me wrong, I love a patriarch, but the idea that it could be all of us and that, that we could do that collectively and to take this time during the pandemic to be in the womb, as you said, Nath, mm. not in the tomb. Mm. Um, I, love, I love that and find it life-giving and necessary. Mm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, that opportunity to dream and, you know, we were talking about, I always love talking about, the laws in nature, because in nature you can find the code of ethics for how to live your life. And I, I often read the, the country that I'm on and I'll know which relationships are doing well by how where trees are placed and what needs nurturing in that household. You know, it's, it's interesting. And we were talking about that film, Biggest Little Farm, and mm. the, the fella was saying you you need biodiversity for all of this to work and that's what you're saying very like without the perspectives of other cultures other genders other all the things we end up having just such a narrow version of the world that actually can't survive yeah but also there's all these parts to that right so they needed the wacky hippie mentor elder dude to tell them how to start that farm and if y'all haven't seen it the Biggest Little Farm, amazing documentary. Buy it on iTunes if you can because it supports some amazing filmmakers. It's an amazing film about this moment. And they had to have that elder give them the confidence and the permission to even try to regeneratively farm completely dead land in the middle of dead land. <laughs> and, then, and then they had to have all this faith and trust to lean into ecosystems to understand that the mm. gopher 
will be eaten by the owl. Like how would you even know that? We've lost so much knowledge. And that's where my I get like a bit nervous. Like who's gonna lead us? How do we how do we know to how do we have the trust and the faith in those ecosystems returning to normal? We don't even know what normal looks like. Some of us do. Well, it is exactly what he does. It's sitting back in stillness and watching and seeing what is coming. What is coming? And, I, you know, I think about this little patch of scrappy land. It, the cedar apparently can never grow back because there's a moth here now that eats the seedlings. But the canopy, I've noticed, is growing in a, and the person that owned this place before us had noticed it too, it's growing in a different way, which means the edge of the canopy is covering the little cedar seedlings so they can't be seen. So it's like the more stillness we have, the more we can tune in and look at the environment and what it's telling us about how we need to live and how really it will always take care of itself. Sometimes we've got to give it these little nudges um, and sometimes we just interfere way too much, you know, and there's, there's all of those analogies and they're very much overused in some ways. But in nature, it is absolutely always darkest before dawn. You know, the, the lotus does grow out of the mud. All of these things that we see in nature where we, if we just focus on the suffering, it would be very bleak. But actually the suffering is the thing that lets us expand and sit in deep reciprocity and love and oneness with each other. And I think some people have this vision that they'll get to this place, they'll go through the suffering, they'll have the expanded, enlightened moment when really it happens over time, it's not a moment, and that they'll never revisit that suffering again. But that's not true either. And so when it comes back up again, they freak out and it's like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was done with all of this. I thought I was over it. When it comes into my world now, I, I feel like it's such a gift. I really do. I feel like the honour in the suffering is so prevalent and I almost get a little bit excited because I know whatever this dark feeling is or dark experience is, something bigger and brighter is coming afterwards and sometimes it takes time. But I never... I just want to be anymore. I want to bear witness to that because we've been friends for a while now and some pretty heavy shit has happened and your responses in those in those moments has just been quite luminous and profound and I think that you are a very unique human being and that you you really resourcing from somewhere that the master's resource which is that what you just said about resistance and suffering as resistance is that it's actually the tension necessary to create form and that we are responsible for the form that is created out of it. That That our attention to what we orient, to what we pay attention, the feelings that inform the form that comes out of suffering, that is what we are sculptors of. That is That's a beautiful way of describing it. It's so articulate because it is. It's like the tension is going to happen, right? We live, we live in a world where we die. You know, there's just certain things that are totally inevitable. There is always going to be that tension. But you're right that what we have responsibility for is what comes out of it and what we do with it and what we create out of it. But also that, it, that, that what you said is that you remain now in moments of suffering and darkness, if you will, 
curious about it. It, it. It's now become something you're curious about, something that you know has information in it, something that you're not trying to push away and reject and rail against entirely, but that you do have this capacity to sort of understand it as a part of the process of creation. Yeah, and in a little cycle, step one is always the suffering because out of it you decide what you want and you're able to think about you're sifting and sorting through all of these experiences. Something bad happens and you go, well, I don't want that. This is what I want. And so then you go on the journey to create that. But the beauty is to not feel like, not feel upset when you're back at that step one again because that's just another level up. You know, it's okay to be back there and to, to be going through those suffering experiences. It's all okay. It's part of it. It's a beautiful part of it. Thank you. Nate, yeah. we, wrap we have. It's one thirty. <laughs> I was like, I gotta, I gotta rein it in. <laughs> Thanks everyone for letting us go rogue and not having the small breakout groups. Please let us know um, what you need. Yeah, what you need exactly. I've already seen a, a comment there saying that they enjoy them. So we'll, we'll, we'll regroup and discuss how we can make this this work. But I'm so glad we got to stay in that beautiful space with you, Lydia. Thank you, Barry. Thank you so much. Um, Lydia, people want to hear more from you and I, and I heard that little yeah. cry in the chats and I'm like, yeah, happy for Lydia to chat more with this community. Um, we love you all. Thank you all. There's a beautiful baby in frame now. Thank you, baby, beautiful baby. And, and I've just got the note here, please, to follow Small Giants and Down by Feather on all the social medias. Yeah, and just how else can we follow you? Is there any other anything we yeah. can plug for you at the moment? Sorry, is there anything we can plug for you? Oh yeah, so my album's coming up, and it, I sing about all of this stuff. That's my absolute number one dream. Right. So, um, Facebook page Lydia Fairhall and the She Oaks. You can follow the release of the album and stay in touch. Feel free to message me. Keep yarning, all the things. Beautiful. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, everyone. Lydia, it's been I can't even handle it. Um, but maybe maybe we'll just have Liddy on a podcast platform and she can just, you know, yeah, keep talking to everyone. Um, from everyone to you, Lydia, to Nathan, Miranda, thank you for holding this space for all of us uh, and to everyone on this call. Thank you. We love you. We're grateful for our community. Bye-bye. See you next Lots week. Lots of love. See you Monday. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.